Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 21. Acts 21. We're going to begin a new chapter in this book. We've been in chapter 20 for several weeks. I'm not sure if you noticed yet, but um, of course out in the hallway there's uh, the TV there that uh, also has the uh, live stream of the service going on. And now there's also audio out in the foyer in the Welcome Center area and in the men's room. (laughs) And ladies, yours is coming this week, I hope. So that all of you who supposedly take a break during the sermon, (laughs) there's no missing the sermon anymore. All right. Anyway. Okay, well, let's move to our time in God's Word this morning. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time and to help us. Father, we need you. This is your holy word. Help us now as we approach it with great respect and admiration for the words therein. You've inspired it by your Holy Spirit. You have given it for a purpose. And we now pray that that purpose will be revealed in all of us as you sanctify us every day. Call those to repentance and belief in you. Save those who believe, Lord. Sanctify your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The last several weeks, we've been in Acts chapter 20, and we have seen Paul give his farewell address to the elders uh, from Ephesus. They've been in a town called Miletus, and and we know that because Paul didn't want to go back to Ephesus because he's actually on his way to Jerusalem. He is concluding his third missionary journey. Uh, We've seen Two before this, this is the third one. He's been all over visiting different churches and places. He's even spent three years in Ephesus this time. And so he's on the way back. And the reason he wants to go to Jerusalem is because he wants to be there for the day of Pentecost. He's brought it with him an offering. We see this in Corinthians and his other epistles. While he's on this third journey, he's collected an offering for the Believers in Jerusalem who are experiencing a severe famine at this time. And many are going hungry and are poor. And so as he's going to the different churches across the world, he's bringing back with them an offering. And we see that in Acts 20.16, just for review. He says uh, in Acts 20.16, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem if possible, on the day of Pentecost. We're not sure exactly why he wanted to be there for Pentecost. Of course, Pentecost is a very important day in the church. It is the birthday of the church. It's the day the Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2 and filled Peter, and he spoke in different languages so that everyone can hear in their own language. Amazing uh, time. And so last week, when we finished chapter 20, we spent probably five weeks, I think, in chapter 20 looking at this farewell address We saw Paul had concluded his final remarks to these elders and they walked Paul to the ship and then they said their goodbyes and there was a lot of crying and embracing. 
Let's go to chapter 21, verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, who's the we? The we here is Luke, who is writing the book of Acts. He is with Paul traveling here and the rest of the missionary team. So Paul, Luke, and the others When we had parted from them, that's the Ephesian elders from chapter 20, and set sail. And the word parted there is, I don't think the English word parted gives it the quite intensity that is in the Greek. The word parted there literally in the Greek means we had to tear ourselves away. We had to tear ourselves away. We had to physically remove ourselves from them because they were crying and hugging and embracing Paul. Paul had told them, ah, you're not going to see my face again. See, Paul knows he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be facing some trials. And it's, he's probably going to be killed at some point. He doesn't plan on coming back this way. And these people who are so close to Paul. Who had spent three years with, the, with him. Clung on to him with such a sincere affection. That Luke says we had to tear them off of us. So that we can get on the boat and leave. Uh, this reminds me of a young child who does not want their mom or dad to go to work, so they cling on to them, crying, asking them to stay home. You know, we've all seen that and been there. This just tells you of the connection that Paul had with these believers here in Ephesus. He loved them, and they loved him. I've had to say goodbye to some dear friends, previous churches, and people I've pastored, and Precious people of Mahoopany Baptist and Venango Woods. And each time that departing has been met with much crying and affection. and Very difficult to leave brothers and sisters behind. Especially when you've poured yourself into them. So I know Paul's pain. I know Paul's um, endearment to them. It just shows you how close Paul was with these people. And how he saw ministry. For Paul, ministry was not a profession. Ministry was his life. I think so many pastors today are nothing but glorified businessmen who serve as motivational speakers. And that's all they care about with no connection to real people. That's not how Paul worked. For example, let me just share this verse from you from 1 Thessalonians. Just to give you a glimpse of how he poured himself into people and how he saw himself ministering. Listen to what he says to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. He says to them, but we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So we saw the Ephesians cling unto Paul. We see the Thessalonians also had this deep affection for Paul. And this should serve as a model and example for all those who bear the title pastor. This closeness and connection, this investment of not only um, of, of a sermon, or, but your life, you share life with people. Such an example to look at. And that's, that really jumped out to me as I studied this passage this week. 
Gospel ministry is not about serving people professionally, but loving them as your own family. And really, as Paul says here, as your own children, your own children. I mean, some of you are my grandparents' age. Some of you are older than my grandparents. But I still, as a pastor, have a responsibility to love you like you're my children in the faith as I help you know the Lord and love the Lord and serve the Lord. So, so good. So Luke says, when we tore ourselves apart from them, we set sail. We came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found the ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. We had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left. We sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was to unload its cargo." I know that's a lot of names and places. You don't know where that's at. So because I love you, right? Here's a map to show you where Paul, where Luke mentions. Of course, at the top left, remember Miletus at the very top left there. This is where he's meeting with the Ephesian elders. And from there, they go to Kos and to Rhodes and to Patera. They leave Cyprus on the left. I like how Luke said left instead of the north, right? Uh, And then he goes and they land in the city of Tyre, which of course is back here near Israel and Syria today. And this is where they land. And the reason they landed there is because the ship had to unload its cargo. So Paul got on a cargo ship. He hitched a ride on a cargo ship to come back. He's going to Jerusalem to bring this offering back to the saints there. Look at verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. So the first thing Paul does when he lands in the city of Tyre is to find believers. Where are the Christians in the city? And Paul was accustomed to doing this. He visited the different churches that he had started. However, this is not a church that Paul started at all. We are told that the gospel spread up in this area. If, we, if you remember back to Acts chapter 11, Luke records for us in Acts chapter 11 that after the stoning of Stephen in chapter 7, the persecution drove the believers to different places. This is one of the places that believers went and the gospel was preached. And there a church was started entire. And Paul knew it. And he visited the believers there. And he spent seven days. Now he's at the mercy of the ship. So it must have been a big ship to take seven days to unload their cargo. The gospel bears fruit wherever it goes. But these disciples in Tyre, as he's with them there for a week, have a message for him. And this is what's really going to frame our sermon today. And this is what Luke writes. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Remember, that's what Paul's doing. He's going to Jerusalem. But Luke says that through the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, they were telling Paul, you can't go. You can't go. Now, what does this mean? Of course, through the Spirit, this means that the gift of prophecy, of course, was still active in this first century world. What is the prophecy? It's a message from God given to the people. 
And because God's word had not been fully completed yet, the gift of prophecy endured and continued. Just like the speaking in tongues. Those served for a special purpose, for a special season. But even as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, whether it's prophecies or tongues, they shall cease. Of course, at this time, the word was not completed, so these gifts continued. And so through the Spirit, God is instructing his people through prophecy. So these believers entire have a special message for Paul. And it's stop. Turn around, go somewhere else. Do not go there. Now, was this news for Paul? No, not at all. This is not news for him at all because we already were told in chapter 20 that he knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. They knew what was coming. In fact, Paul tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, he says this to the Ephesian elders, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Why, Paul? Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So wait a minute. You have the believers entire getting a prophecy from the Spirit that tells Paul not to go. And you have Paul hearing from the Holy Spirit himself saying what? Go. If somebody is wrong here. The Holy Spirit changed his mind, which doesn't happen since God doesn't change, right? God is immutable. So someone is right and someone is wrong. And who is it? Paul says, I'm constrained by the Spirit. I'm going there not knowing what will happen, but I do know this. Trouble is coming. The Holy Spirit has told me in every city I'm coming, every city I stop on this journey back to Jerusalem, every time, there's imprisonment, you're going to go to jail. You're going to go to prison and afflictions, hardships are coming your way. But Paul is still going. Why? Because he does not account his life of any value. Why? Because the mission for Paul was more important to share the gospel and to serve people was more important to Paul than his own life. God has called me to a mission and I will finish it. So who's wrong? Did the believers of Tyre get it wrong? Did they mishear God? It says through the spirit they were telling Paul not to go. No, I don't think they misheard God at all. This is what I think happened. Paul and the believers of Tyre got the same message. Paul's going to Jerusalem, he's going to jail, and he's going to endure a lot of trouble. But this is what happens. Paul gets that message and knows what must be done. The Holy Spirit is sending me there. I must go. Remember, in other times in the book of Acts, we see Paul not go to places. Why? Because the Holy Spirit told him not to go. Remember? The Macedonian vision... Don't go in Asia, Paul, right? We, we know Paul is sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to disobey the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit told him to go. He's going. But I think the, Paul realized that and realized, yeah, I know what awaits me and I'm still going. It doesn't matter what happens to me there because God has called me to do this. 
But the believers hear the trouble. I don't think the Holy Spirit told the believers at Tyre, hey, tell Paul not to go. I think they just heard the same message Paul did. Yeah, Paul's going to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, there's trouble. And they take that message. And what do they do? They act emotionally towards it. And they interpret it in their own way emotionally. Why? Because they love Paul. We, we, we can't let Paul go in there. The Holy Spirit told us he's going to jail. Paul, we love you too much to go to jail. You can't go there. It's not that they misheard God. It's they interpreted the word of the Lord emotionally. Emotionally. Paul is going based on conviction of belief and obedience to God. While his well-meaning friends entire are acting on emotions. They love Paul. They don't want to see him killed or arrested. And so they interpret what was to come to him and say, no, not happening. We are guilty of this too, aren't we? Hey, have you ever read your Bible? And because the prophecy that they received entire is the word of God. Right? The word of God. We hold in our hands the written word of God. So we can come to this book, and we've all done it. Have you ever read something in the Bible and say, yeah, not sure about that? That's not the way I thought it was supposed to be. I don't like that about God. Ooh, why do we have those rules? And then you act on your emotions or your experiences. And then you read something in the Bible that you really don't like. And then you interpret it the way that is more easy for you to digest. We've all done it. We don't even have to raise our hands. You've all come to a doctrine that you don't like. You've all come to a scripture that you wish somebody had cut out. But this is, the, this is the point we must come to. If this is God's word, it is what it is. The Holy Spirit didn't tell the people of Tyre to tell Paul not to go there. They just interpreted it that way. Because here's a principle that you could bank on. You ready? The word of God will never contradict itself. Ever. The word of God will never contradict us. The Holy Spirit didn't tell Paul one thing and the believers the other. You go and tell them not to go. It didn't happen. Their love for Paul and their emotions for him drove them to protect him. But that's not what God said. He's going. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be afflicted greatly. So what do we do? What do we do when we come to something that we don't like, like they did? Your beloved Paul. You may not see him again because he may be killed. We must come to the place where we realize that this word of God is authoritative. And it is sufficient. It is enough. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to take it we remove things from it. 
We don't need to go to the world and hear the culture and then redefine things according to the way that are more easy for us to digest. I mean, this is what's going to happen all across our world. Even in our Southern Baptist Convention, which we're going to have a discussion about Wednesday night. And if you've read my letter, you know what I'm talking about. There's things that we're facing now as Southern Baptists where these things have never been issues before. But now, because the world is interpreting in a certain way, we're not liking some things that we read here. And to be more digestible and pleasing to everyone, we redefine and reinterpret things or try to redefine some things that ought not to be that way. If God said it, he said it, period. Whether you like it or not, it's God's word. You must submit to it. This is what is happening here in Tyre. They're well-meaning. They love Paul. But God didn't tell them to say, tell Paul not to go. They just heard what was awaiting him and said, you can't go. We act emotionally to the scriptures. Let me tell you this, that your emotions are stained with your depravity and you cannot be trusted. We are a very emotional people, aren't we? We are a very emotional. One day we're happy and we make certain decisions. The other day we're sad and we make different decisions. We must act according to our convictions. Our convictions should be based on what is true and absolute truth and that never changes now, I'm not talking about one day whether you want cereal or pancakes. You may be in the mood for one another. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the issues of life and the things that God has spoken into. We must act on conviction and a belief in what God said, not according to emotions, not according to what we think we would like. Like, well, I never thought God was like that. So why don't I redefine this passage of Scripture that tells me God is sovereign, for example, even over the matters of salvation, and reinterpret it in a way that, oh, okay, I, I can go with that interpretation. That makes me feel better. The very fact that it doesn't make you feel better is proof that it is the word of God. Because the Bible says of itself that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing asunder of soul and spirit, is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our heart, the Bible is a living book written by the Spirit of God. And when you read it and it becomes uncomfortable, join the club. The question is not to make yourself more comfortable. The question is, and the place we must come to is say, thus says the Lord, and I will obey. I will obey. And Lord, give me an understanding. Lord, change me. Change me to submit to it so that I can glory in it, oh God. This is what's going on here. And this is a, a trick that the devil has used from the beginning. Satan loves to use our emotions to go against what God has said all the time. All the time. I'll never forget I had, when I was a youth pastor... Long time ago, <laughs> there was a teenage girl that was trying to convince me that it was okay for her to have sex with her boyfriend because she loved him. And the Bible's all about love. So it doesn't matter that they weren't married yet. They just, you know, so 
doesn't matter that what God said, but I loved him and we're going to get married anyway, so it's okay. I said, no, that's not what God has said. This is what, this is what, this, this is what Satan did to Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, let's just look at it real quick. Look how Satan plays with her mind to doubt God and what God said. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? You see, Satan has been doubting God's word from the beginning. That's his playbook. He does it different ways, but it always comes back. He will doubt what God has said. Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now she takes that information from the serpent. She knows what God has said. But she takes this information and she thinks about it. And she rationalizes in her mind. She thinks of the possibilities. She makes excuses why it's okay to do it. Listen. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Hey. I could eat this. It's healthy. It's good for me. The tree was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. Oh, it's so attractive and appealing. I mean, how could something like that be wrong? And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Again, what happened? She knows what God had said. She allowed herself to be deceived by the serpent. And then she acted emotionally. She tried to rationalize why, yeah, God said that, but look at all these other benefits I can get from it. And we play those games with God every day. We do. If God said it, he said it, and it's not changing. We must submit to him, and to not submit to God is sin. When God has commanded something, it's not for us to question it or rationalize it or make excuses for it. We just obey God. Hmm. So both Paul and the believers of Tyre heard the same message, came to different conclusions. Again, what was the difference? Paul obeyed exactly what God had said, and he took him at his word. You're going to go to Jerusalem, you're going to get imprisoned. And faced afflictions, the believers of Tyre heard what God said, loved Paul, interpreted emotionally, and told Paul not to go. That's the difference. So what does Paul do? Does he listen to them? No. Look at verse 5. Luke writes, When our days there were ended, after a week, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with the wives and children, accompanied us even until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. Paul doesn't listen. He, he knows they're begging him not to go. He still goes. 
If I go to prison, if I get killed, God said, go, I will go. Look at verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was, with, who was one of the seven, stayed with him. Let's bring up another map, just to show you where they're going. They're, so they arrive in Tyre, they go to Ptolemaeus, the Caesarea, and then eventually on to Jerusalem. But in Caesarea, they meet a man whom we've met before, Philip the Evangelist. He was one of the first deacons, one of the first seven deacons we read about in Acts chapter 6. And then Philip, when the persecution came, went and spread the gospel. And they stay there with Philip, a good friend. Look at verse 9. Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So here we go again. Another city, another word from the Lord to Paul. Again, Paul says, every city I go, the Holy Spirit is confirming this. That I'm going to be arrested and face affliction. And here's this man, Agabus. We've met him before too earlier in the book of Acts. He's the one that said that the famine was coming. And it came. He's a prophet of the Lord. And this guy comes down and does theatrics. He literally takes Paul's belt. And then binds his own feet and hands. Ties them up. This is what the Holy Spirit told me, Paul. Whoever owns his belt is going to be tied up and given over to the Gentiles. Again, more proof, more confirmation of what the will and the purpose of the Lord is for Paul. So how do the people in Caesarea and Philip's house respond to this prophecy? They also love the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 12. When we heard this, now Luke includes himself. Luke is a traveling companion, a good friend of Paul. Before he said when, when they heard it, they tried to convince him. But look at verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> Paul, don't go. We love you. You're going to go to prison. Don't you know how many more cities we can reach? Don't you know how many more people we could save? How many more people need churches plant? Paul, please don't go. How do they respond to the word of the Lord? Emotionally. The Lord didn't say, hey, Tabitha, tell Paul not to go. The word of the Lord was, this is what's going to happen when you get there. More emotion. And that skews how they respond to God's word. How does Paul respond here? Look at verse 13. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. Paul knows. Paul knows that they mean well. 
He knows that they love him, but he knows that they're so wrong about this. He knows what God has told him. He knows in every city what the Lord has revealed to him. And Paul says, why are you breaking my heart? Weeping, doing these things. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm ready. If that's what God wants, then I am ready. Let me go to prison. Let me be beat up. Let them kill me if that's what it takes. And I will do it all for the name of the Lord Jesus. Remember, he said in Acts chapter 20, he does not count himself and his life valuable. What does that mean? Is Paul suicidal? No. He values the glory of God in the gospel proclamation more than his own life. And he will finish this race well. Look at verse 14. Luke writes, And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. They weren't going to give up. They tried and they tried, just like the believers in Tyre. But Paul knew. Take emotions out of it. Take everything out of it. What did God say? That's what we must do. If you're telling me that God said not to go, then I need to ask the Lord again if I misheard. But that's not what the Lord said, what you're telling me to do. And they finally said, oh, fine, fine. Paul, we love you. We don't want anything to happen to you, but you know what? You're right. Let the will of the Lord be done. If you're going to die, you're going to die. If you're going to live, you're going to live. God's will will be accomplished. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And they keep going. (laughs) You might be asking, what purpose does God have here? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, probably the most important Christian at this time. Wrote most of our New Testament. Has planted churches all across the Roman Empire. Has helped train elders and make sure that there's gospel proclamation happening throughout the entire world. Why does God want him to go and be imprisoned? Why does, God, why, does, why does Paul want the will of the Lord to be done? Why doesn't Paul fight back? Well, to fight back would be sin, wouldn't it? To go against God's word. But also, I believe that Paul is following the example of his Lord. Think of Jesus in the garden. Remember what he prayed moments before he's arrested? Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew what the Father had sent him to go do. That he was to die on the cross at the hands of evil men. And to satisfy God's righteous wrath upon sinners. That Jesus would die for sinners. Even though he was innocent. Jesus would do it if that's what God the Father wanted. And that's what God the Father wanted. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
Paul is not some super Christian. He's following the example of his Lord. This is how the Lord responded to such a similar occasion. And you know what? Paul knows that they're not going to kill him a second before God allows it. Paul believes in the sovereignty of God, which is what? God controls all things. Nothing happens against God's will or God's plan. Evil men may plan and conspire against God, but God is sovereign even over the evil plans of wicked men and women. If they're going to kill me, then it was the Lord's will. But they're not going to kill me a second before. It's time for me to die. It's this belief in one, the authority of God's word that drives Paul to continue on to Jerusalem knowing what's awaiting him. And it's also this belief in a sovereign God that knows that Paul's time will not be ended before the Lord is done with him. It's verses like this from Isaiah, which probably jump out at Paul. Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. God tells Isaiah, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Who says when it begins? God. Who says when it ends? God. What about the things that happen between the beginning and the end? God. The things of ancient times and the things not yet done. Who controls it all? God, that's what God's telling Isaiah. My counsel shall stand. What I want to happen will happen. And I will, that's a promise, (laughs) accomplish all my purpose. Here's something you could bank on. God gets what he wants. And no one can stop him. But Dan, do you see all the evil happening? Oh, I see it. And so does God. And God is sovereign over it all. You know, I was just thinking this morning, two and a half years ago, when COVID began. And we were thinking, man, what's going to happen here? And all these things and the you know, church and meeting and how many people are coming. And at that time, we were just starting to really take off and grow. And we got so many new people and... Just, and all of a sudden, now just like all deflated. And man, it was so discouraging. It really was in the very beginning. But do you know what God has done through COVID? Do you know what the things that have happened in the last two years, that if COVID didn't happen, no matter what you think about any of that stuff, right? That God has even used that for his glory. Some of you are here as a result of things that have happened to you. During COVID. Some of you have left churches that weren't teaching God's word. Because you realized that during COVID. When you couldn't go back to that church. And the Lord led you to Bible preaching uh, faithful men like John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. And somehow the Lord brought you here. People have been saved as a result of COVID. But look at all the evil that COVID has brought. Yes, I agree. 
But God is sovereign even over COVID and over people who will use such things in the world for their own power to bring about his purpose. God bringing Paul to Jerusalem, even though it might cost Paul his life, God is sovereign over that and will have a purpose through it. It reminds me of Joseph. If you remember in Genesis chapter 50, you remember the story of Joseph. Joseph had done nothing bad except brag about some dreams that he had. And his brothers sold him into slavery, lied to their father, saying that he was eaten by a wild animal, conspired this whole plan. Joseph goes as a slave to Egypt. Then God lifts him up and goes in second of command. Then he goes to jail for two years after not doing anything wrong. Then God brings him back into power. And through Joseph, he saves the whole world from famine. What is that but the sovereignty of God? God using the evil plans of jealous brothers and a lying and conceiving um, woman like Potiphar's wife who lied about him, that he had raped her. And Joseph went to jail. And what does Joseph tell his brothers at the end? Genesis 50, 20. (laughs) They were scared that Joseph was going to kill them once they realized he was still alive. Joseph says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And even though all those bad things happened to Joseph, through Joseph, God used him. That was his plan to what? Save the world and his family, his very brothers who had lied about him and sold him as a slave to save the world through him. Amazing. Were you meant for evil? God meant for good. God's not up there saying, oh, I can't believe they did that. Now what do I need to do to fix it? That's not what God does. God is saying, okay, evil people, do, do, what, do, do what you're going to do. And I will still use it to do what I want. And you cannot stop me. So when you hear of evil things in the world, when you see evil happening in the world, know that there is a God in heaven who is in control over over that. And he loves us. And what he wants to happen will happen. Paul's going to Jerusalem with that in mind. Finally, Luke says, we stopped trying to convince them and said, let God's will be done for you. So let's just give you a little spoiler alert. What, what happened to Paul? We're going to see that next week. He goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. But then later on, I just want to show you something from Philippians. What happens is he goes through different trials. And this is the rest of the book of Acts. He goes from trial to trial to person to person to eventually Paul appeals to Caesar And he gets taken to Rome. To Rome. He's always wanted to go to Rome. Now God puts him in Rome. The heart of the empire. He's a prisoner. And what does he write to the Philippians in chapter 1? I want you to know, brothers, verse 12, that what has happened to me has really served To advance the gospel. Wait, what are you talking about? Paul, when you went to Jerusalem, yeah, you were arrested, you went on trial. 
you were lied about, you were taken to Rome as a prisoner. Paul says, I want you to know what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. God has used my imprisonment for his glory to do things that would never have happened if he didn't allow this. So that, listen to verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is a prisoner and he starts witnessing to Caesar's guards who had never heard the gospel if Paul had listened to Luke and his friends from Tyre and Caesarea. He shared the gospel with the imperial guard. And look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Not only did God use Paul's imprisonment to further the gospel, but God used Paul's imprisonment throughout the entire world so that the believers took a firmer stance and were more bold to speak truth and to share Christ. Does God know what he's doing? Yeah. So Two things in Paul's mind. God's word is authoritative. I will obey it. And God's God is sovereign. Even if he uses my death for his glory to save many people, he is good. Even if I spend the rest of my life in prison and that makes the church stronger, God is good. And that's why the prosperity gospel is garbage. Because it doesn't have any teaching about suffering that helps people understand the goodness of God. Nothing at all. May you understand that the God who is sovereign over everything saves people. This gospel which he shared with the whole imperial guard. That Jesus Christ died for sinners. And that he is risen again from the grave. That if you believe in the Lord Jesus, that he died for you and rose again, that you can be saved today. You can be forgiven of your sins. No matter what you have done or where you've been or who you have been, Christ forgives. Jesus saves by his cross. May the Holy Spirit open your heart to draw you to him. May you come to him humble. Knowing that you are unworthy and, and don't deserve anything but his judgment. But realize that when you come in that condition, that the holy God of the universe loves you just the way you are and has given his son for you so that you can be saved. Think of the people that would not have been saved if Paul hadn't gone to prison. The Lord had already chosen a people for himself before time began. Nothing was going to stop that from happening. Paul, you're going to jail. That's a part of the plan. And we could translate that into our life in so many different ways. What if I didn't get cancer? What if I didn't lose my job? What if, you name it. You name the terrible thing that has happened to you. And I want you to know this. God is good and will use your pain for his glory.
to do what he wants for your good. And the accomplishment of the story he's telling and has been telling since time began. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to submit to it. Help us not to try to make excuses for what it says or rationalize or try to reinterpret it based on what the world is saying now or what the culture is saying. God, help us to be bold. This is what you said. This is what you said, whether we like it or not. Help us to submit to it. Help help us to repent of our sin and turn to Christ. I pray for those in here that need this understanding of an authoritative word that are struggling with maybe some truths about God or some truths about what the Bible teaches and they don't like it. Lord, help them to glory in it and give them a love for it and a submission to it. That they just need to surrender to you. Father, help those who are not saved, those who still need to believe in Christ to believe. Grant them repentance. Grant them faith. Call them to yourself. May they acknowledge in this moment, and they know who they are, that they are a sinner who needs Jesus. And help them to humbly call upon his name to be saved. Thank you for such lessons from Paul's life. God's word is authoritative and you are sovereign. And we can go to bed tonight, put a head on our pillow, and be a complete peace no matter what happens in this world or what happens to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet and sing a closing song this morning. Thank you for coming today. God bless you. If I could help you in any way, please see me after the service. I'll be in the Welcome Center. I'll stay as long as I need to. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to share with you more about him and how you could be saved today. God bless you. Let's sing. And we'll see you tonight for ice cream and testimonies and tunes. God bless you.